0: As a writer and educator, I'm often asked, how can someone have a writing career? Today, our guest is Amber Lanier-Nagel, and I consider her an expert on becoming a writer as a second career.
1: I believe writing is a therapeutic art form. My motto is, keep storytelling alive. Share your stories with others. I'm Amber Lanier-Nagel, a storyteller from Georgia.
0: Welcome to this installment of this new podcast, Dialogues with Creators. As I have explained in the first four installments, our mission is to explore the lives and work of creators and creative people in the Northwest Georgia and Tennessee Valley region. I always want to acknowledge our producer extraordinaire, Clemencia Villafuerte. Clemencia is a communication major at Dalton State College and a student at the Georgia Film Academy. In a future podcast, we will interview Clemencia, who is also serving as an intern for the Communication, Performing Arts, and Foreign Languages Department. So far, we have talked with Jerry Dry, a humorist and scholar of humor and storytelling, who creates in those realms and in the classroom. Our second guest was filmmaker Ryan Reese. Today, I'm pleased to introduce listeners to Amber Nagel, and I'm going to start with letting her introduce herself. And tell us something about her creative endeavors.
1: Well, hey there, Barbara. Thank you for the invitation. And it's great to finally see you in person after a while. Yes. (laughs) I'm Amber Nagel. I'm a Georgia girl, born and raised in Middle Georgia. My husband and I moved to lovely Northwest Georgia in 1999. And I do freelance work, mostly freelance writing for clients. I was the editor and designer of several Good Life magazines, Dalton Magazine, Calhoun Magazine, Health, Mind & Body, and Think Pink, which is a breast cancer magazine, until about 2020 when I left to work on a few of my own projects. And so to summarize, I'm a writer, though I kind of think of myself as more a storyteller.
0: Thank you, Amber, and thank you for telling us about the different places where your writing will uh, appear, has appeared, and we'll come back to that later. Because I find that it pops up in places that I get to say, oh, Amber wrote this. And and I cut it out, like I said, and, and save it because you have such interesting variety of topics that you have written about as a freelance writer. One thing that I find interesting about your life as a writer is that it's something you pursued as a career in your adult years. Many young people grow up wanting to be writers and pursue that through their college major, et cetera. What was your college major?
1: Well, I'll kind of share a little bit of that story since I didn't touch on it in the introduction. I have two technical degrees. Um, I earned a Bachelor of Textile and Polymer Engineering from Georgia Tech and a Master of Engineering from Mercer University. And yes, that seems odd at first uh, that an engineer would shift gears and pursue a career in writing, but that's exactly what I did. Um, I was one of those students who loved every subject in school, math, science, and English, And I was also one of those kids that always had her nose in a book. I I read all the time and loved books. So when I was a senior, uh, my senior year in high school, I was led more toward the science and engineering fields because I was really good in math. And I love math, by the way. Um, But I, I graduated with an engineering degree. I worked for the Department of Defense for about 12 years. Then we moved here and I worked as a manufacturing and industrial engineer for several years but a couple of things happened while I was working as an engineer that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. First, one company that I worked for, we built Johnson and Evan Roode Boat Motors, filed for bankruptcy, and bam, I was suddenly out of work. And it was soul crushing for me. So I got my resume together and started shopping it around, but finding another job took some time and I had a lot of idle time on my hands, and I started writing. I'd always been a reader and I th- kind of made that transformation into writing the words instead of just reading the words. And I found it really therapeutic and calming. And I started writing stories from my childhood. And after I had four or five under my belt, I sent them to the editor of a local newspaper and he liked them and printed them. And it changed my life. A month later, he asked if I wanted to share my stories in a monthly column. And I accepted that offer and I wrote those for free, which is kind of an odd thing, but it, it kind of forced me to sit down once a month and actually gather my thoughts and and, and take that practice of actually writing something. And, uh, and I developed a writer's voice, which uh, a lot of people ask me in workshops, you know, how did you develop your writer's voice? That's how. It was the the practice and the exercise of sitting down and actually writing that column. I went back to work as an engineer, of course, but I kept writing after that first, you know, pause there. Um, Three years later, I learned that the plant that I was working at was closing in a few months. So (laughs) I took an online class, an online um, class to teach me how to do freelance writing. It was about $60. It was through Education To Go. Um, It focused on freelancing, and I launched a freelancing writing career shortly after that plant closed. It was a plan. I was going to just try it for a little while, see if it worked, see if I could actually make money with my writing. And it worked out like within three weeks, I had my first check and it was, it was miserable. It was like $150, but I was so excited. I still think about it. I wish I'd kept that check or a copy of that check because it was $150 that someone had given to me because they thought I was a good writer. And that really reinforced what I wanted to do. And from there, I've just built up. I just kept doing it.
0: That's an amazing story. And I have a several things to say. Number one, I love education to go. I've taken courses with them. <laughs> uh, I've taken a course in publishing online, uh, digital publishing, e-publishing. And I've taken a course in um, teaching English as a second language. So I like them. And the other thing is that I asked I ask you specifically about your major and, and that I knew about your story, having, having been an engineer, because We in higher education tend to separate people, unfortunately, separate students into STEM versus liberal arts folks. And I've always found that dangerous because I don't like any kind of pigeonholing and categorizing people. Liberal arts folks do understand math and science. (laughs) They can learn computer science just like anyone else. And STEM majors are often excellent musicians and artists. So... I'm not sure where that very strict line came from, but it's, a, it's an unfortunate one. And I want people to be encouraged to stop thinking that way. <laughs> that said, let's go back to your getting some uh, writing gigs. I think you have excellent advice for those who wish to do that. And so you've told your story about you uh, sent some stories into a, to the newspaper that got you developing your voice. You got your first check. Can you talk more about, you know, how, where you went from after that first check?
1: Okay. Um, so like I said, you kind of build from the bottom. And a lot of times when I do freelancing workshops, I'll, I try to emphasize that I try to make people understand what the expectations are. You cannot start a writing career and immediately have thousand dollar checks coming in left and right. Your first writing gigs are usually pretty low. Um, you, uh, You know, you don't have anything to really show an editor, you know, so you need to start uh, acquiring writing clips, published writing clips. So, all those years that I was uh, writing the column for the newspaper for free, I did not realize that that was going to help build my portfolio. Um, So, I used a lot of that to get writing business with other clients. So, that's kind of where you start. Um, You write for, say, local newspapers, local magazines first. And then you kind of spread outward from that, like a ripple effect in a pond. Um, you then go to a state level. And then after that, you have more to show to an editor. You can show them all these published works. You can show them how dependable you are, uh, how versatile you are, and then kind of spread out to a national level. And that's kind of how I've done it. I don't know if that's exactly how other writers do it. Um, here again, I don't have a writing degree. so. That's how I felt I needed to do. I needed to build. And so at this level, I do write for several national magazines, but most of mine are state level. Um, I like Georgia. I, I was born and raised in Georgia. I know a lot about the people. I know a lot about different places and I find it interesting. And so I've kind of written more at the state level, but I do write for some national magazines. Is that kind of the answer to your question?
0: Yes, and I'd like you to, to tell us about some of the, where we would see your most recent work or maybe going back a little bit.
1: I kind of just jotted some notes down because I didn't want to <laughs> forget any. Most of the things that people tell me that they've seen my name in is Georgia Magazine right now because uh, I, uh, I started writing for Georgia Magazine years ago and I love it because it goes out to a lot of the rural areas in Georgia. So in South Georgia where my mother and stepfather live. Uh, they see it down there. A lot of aunts and uncles that live in different parts of the state. A lot of friends that I went to school with that have moved to different areas of the state actually read it. So, and I like that. And I like hearing from them and they tell me the ones that they like and they tell me the ones that they don't like. And I like that. Um, but uh, Georgia Magazine has such a large audience um, and they write about interesting topics that are very Georgia focused. So I they they're probably my favorite client. Um, I love writing for them and and I pitch to them. And uh, by pitching, I mean, I'm, I introduce them to an idea that I'm thinking about. So some of the things that I've written about in the past, like I, I've written about a Kindness Rocks project. I've written about, I think I'm kind of getting ahead a little bit, but uh, one of the funniest things that I've ever written about was Bigfoot in Georgia. Oh, Yes. I pitched that to them, and I really didn't think that they would be interested in that, and they were. And I had such a great time, like interviewing all these people that you know believed that they had seen Bigfoot at some point in their lives. And you know, I'm not talking about you know uh, your next door neighbor that never comes out of your out of his house. I'm talking about doctors and lawyers and nurses and you know people that have PhDs and. (laughs) I mean, they had some of the most interesting stories. So it it was kind of uh, corny at the beginning. And then I started thinking, okay, but these people actually believe they've seen Bigfoot. They actually <laughs> believe it. But it, the story was about those people. Um, the story was about the Bigfoot Museum mm-hmm. that opened in North Georgia a few years ago. Um, and just some little miscellaneous facts about Bigfoot. But anyway. So there there have been lots of interesting things that that I've placed in Georgia magazine. Um, I think this month um, I've got three pieces in Georgia magazine. Um, One about chess, chess clubs all throughout Georgia. One about Capricorn Recording Studio, um, which, of course, is where the Allman Brothers Band and Marshall Tucker Band and all those people in the 70s, you know, started recording Southern rock. That was one of my favorite articles I've written in two years because I got to talk to a lot of people that were in the music industry back in that time. I grew up in Warner Robins. Of course, it's in Macon. So I felt a connection to that story. Mm. I also had a hometown hero story in the last Georgia magazine and then recently wrote some articles for them about labyrinths um, and about uh, a woman in South Georgia who was, um, she actually collects money and buys bags for foster kids. Um, and I enjoy I enjoy talking about people that are doing really interesting, kind things. So it's a really good fit for me. But I do write for a lot of other places, too. People, like you said, people see my stuff all over the place. Right.
0: What would be an, a national magazine that you would be in?
1: So I've written for Mother Earth News a few times. Yeah. I've written for grit a few times. I've written for natural awakenings a lot. Um, they, uh, I don't do a lot of health and wellness type writing, but because of my technical background, sometimes they'll call on me to write about uh, tougher topics. For example, I wrote about um, medicinal cannabis and they had me interview a doctor who in Maine prescribes uh, medicinal cannabis and he's actually been collecting data for several years. And they just wanted somebody that could take more of a scientific approach to the article and not just a, hey, this is out here. It's great. (laughs) It was more of a a deep dive into the science. Um, So that's a national magazine that I've written for. I've written for a couple of Canadian magazines as well. And that's more health and wellness
0: and that type of thing. I have have so many questions about this that would be helpful. And I know you do uh, workshops, but... For freelance writers, you've done one in my class. Mm-hmm. You have such a varied list of topics. Is that a positive thing or a difficult thing?
1: So, okay, for me, it's easy, and um, I'm that person that's interested in everything. Um, I'm sitting, you know, at a doctor's office. I'm picking up magazines, and I might, I might read an article about finances, and then I might read another article about the housing market. And, but I'm just as interested in reading about your next door neighbor's goats. So I kind of feel like if you, um, if you love to learn, if you love uh, to research and learn more and build on, on like a base of, of knowledge, and then you're excited about sharing what you've learned with someone else, you know, like, you know, your husband or your spouse, um, you know, tell your spouse like what you learned today. I that's kind of my sweet spot. That's what I like to do. I like to learn something, and I've always felt that I had a knack for explaining to other people hard topics. So, And and here again, back in my engineering days, that was one of my fortes. A lot of times when we would get new equipment into the building or something, and we would have to help uh, the workforce understand why they would need to use this equipment or how to operate it safely... I was the person that they would always choose to go down there and, and work with, uh, the line workers and understand like the safety and how to operate it. Um, and I did it really well, which I guess is kind of a form of technical writing. So yeah, I was an engineer, but I think all along I had something in me that was trying to get out and write, but, uh, that's, uh, the diversity of topics though, keeps it really interesting. Um. I will say this: just in the last week, somebody asked me to write a beauty article, <laughs> and I said, "Okay, I'm a lot of things, and I write about a lot of topics, but I'm sorry, I am not your beauty writer." Um, <laughs> so I
0: passed. Well, that that's interesting. Uh, beauty as in, as in products for beauty, or are you. <laughs>
1: a lot of magazines will have slots for different topics, Ah, Mm -hmm. you know, like they might want one about, um, health and wellness, then they might want one about travel. And then, you know, in this to build a really balanced issue, she was missing, this editor in particular was missing one that was in the beauty category. And after I passed, I have since learned that she found someone that's going to write about nail trends, you know, like going to the salon and getting your nails done Mm -hmm nail trends for the summer. Um, and here again, I just wasn't that person. Know <laughs> <laughs> nothing about that. Nothing.
0: <laughs> you know, in listening to you, I think that, that this is in, in my experience as a writer and somebody who's mentors writers more on a fiction level, but not solely that is what you're talking about is audience awareness. A lot of that, because you do have interests and you can put words on paper, but that's not what has sold your articles. You sold articles because you proved to people that you know your audience, you know your readers. Right. And you know how to write for them that they will keep reading, which, of course, magazine folks, editors, want them to keep reading. You know, they want them to pick up the magazine say, oh, there's going to be an article about, hmm, you know, and pick it up so that they'll see the ads and so they'll be interested in the magazine, exactly. etc. So. You have, in what you said about the the engineering job, et cetera, you have a a wonderful sense of audience. And I know a lot of writers, they see writing as expression. Right. They don't see it as the audience is interacting and you're interacting with an audience and they are really is important to the processes. And you don't want them to get bored. Yeah.
1: If they get bored, they'll stop reading Mm -hmm. and that defeats the purpose. Um, I want to offer the reader something that they may not know. Um, and so, for example, in next month's Georgia magazine, and I'm, I'm not going to ruin this uh, by giving a lot of information about that article, but I've got an article that was placed there about labyrinths in, in next month's issue. And, uh, and it's something I didn't know a lot about. But I attended a writing workshop last year in Rome, and we actually held the workshop at this labyrinth in Rome. And while I was sitting there, and here again, to get ideas, no matter where I go, who I'm talking to, I'm constantly looking for an idea. I was sitting there thinking, I wonder, you know, what exactly is a labyrinth? Is it a maze? You know, why is this one here? Are there others in Georgia? Were there like 90 in Georgia? 90 labyrinths and, um, and they're not mazes because in a maze you hit dead ends and it's like a puzzle, but a labyrinth is more like a tool for meditation. Um, I thought to myself, okay, so, um, if I want the reader to learn with me what a labyrinth is, I'm going to have to tell a story at the beginning of the article. I can't just say the definition of a labyrinth is blah, blah, blah. So I always start my articles for certain magazines, like Georgia Magazine, with a story. I share a story. I try to take the reader to a particular place doing something that hooks them. Of course, that's the term, you know, a lot of writers use, the writing hook. I try to hook them with a story at the beginning, something that they could relate to or that they find interesting, and then I explain what something is. So I feel like I'm trying to very subtly teach them something that they won't forget, Mm -hmm. whereas they may have just turned the page. If I started it off by just kind of explaining what a labyrinth is, they probably would have never stayed on the page and finished reading. So that's why when I describe myself in the intro as more of a storyteller, I feel that that's my best way of connecting with the audience, with connecting to my reader is if I can tell them a story. Because as humans, I mean, that's that's how we evolved sharing stories, listening to stories and learning in that way. And I feel like society's kind of gotten away from that a little bit. Um, You know, we're reading less and less. We're digesting less and less. So I'm trying to keep storytelling alive. And so my main style when I write for a lot of the magazines and publications that I write for is more based on storytelling and trying to start the article with something really interesting, a story. Back to the labyrinth article, I, uh, I talked to a man in Atlanta that actually was willing to share his experience of walking the labyrinth for the first time. He went by, it was in a church, he went by and saw other people that were walking it and he thought, what are they doing? What, what is that? What is that on the floor in there? And then he went in and he thought, well, I'll try it and he kind of had a spiritual moment. And I tell that in the intro about how he, it was unexpected. Um, it calmed him. It quieted his thoughts. He began to focus. And by the time he got to the center of the labyrinth, he he realized that it was almost as if he had been meditating. Mm. So I share that story. Mm-hmm. I share that story. And that's kind of how I I treat a lot of the articles. I try to um, start with a story that somebody may just have passed on by, but I try to hook them so that they'll keep reading because my mission is to get them to learn something they didn't know.
0: Oh, so much of what you said resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I I collect stories. I hear things and I put them in my head or I journal them down and they're going to show up somewhere in one of <laughs> my stories or novels. Right. I mean, it's you need to be careful around me what you tell <laughs> i know my husband's told me so many stories and their and and other family members that i may not write them exactly as they're told but i'm going to do something with them somewhere in a short story or novel or, or screenplay or play somewhere right um because that's the you know the the metaphor i use it's a quilt in yeah. in the old days when women quilted they didn't go out to hobby lobby and buy already sectioned quarters of Of yards, they just used whatever they could find around the house. And that's kind of how I do with with stories and creating a larger narrative. You were, I believe you were at this conference. It was held in 19, on November of 19. And it was the Calhoun Writers Group had a a conference.
1: Probably. yeah. Yes. And it
0: was, it was so good. It was a really good conference. I think you spoke and I, I spoke a little bit too, but they had a, Oh, and I always forget his name. Stephen James, I think, was his name. Oh, okay. Yes. He I, came I wasn't in. There. Yes. Yeah. And he, he's a well known novelist and uh, quite successful. And he, uh, he has a master's degree in storytelling. And he was quite a performer. But I don't know if you remember his story. He said, Start with the snake. I do. Yes. Hear that. And that yeah. stuck with me so much. Of course, uh, he told a story about the snake. and And he said, If you're going to write a novel, You start with the snake. And honestly, looking at my own writings, I wasn't starting with the snake, you know. And so I've really tried on the first two pages to hook people with something that is going to make them question, who is this? What's going on? You know, not not a literal snake, of course, but but something that just they can't help but keep turning the page to find out what is, what's going on. And um, that really, I'd heard, I'd heard this same kind of information before, but I'd never heard it put that way. Start with the snake because it's so very, uh, you know, visual and everything. And that was a great conference. And which brings me to the question, it was put on by the Calhoun, Georgia um, writers group. And I think the Rome writers group was involved in that. And I think you've had some connections with them. And could you, could you talk about how writers groups are, are helpful?
1: I'd love to, because I actually credit the Chattanooga Writers Guild with helping launch me as a writer. Um, because when I did make that transition from engineer to writing, I, I knew no one else that wrote. There was none of my network of friends. It was mostly engineering types. And I had no writers in the family. And so I didn't really have anybody to bump ideas off of or talk to about different things. So um, I Googled it one day and I found that there was a writer's guild in Chattanooga um, and uh, that this was before Calhoun area Riders. I think there was also one in Rome, but, um, but I was up in Dalton twice a week anyway. And I thought, well, I'll just run up there on a Tuesday night and attend the Chattanooga writer's guild meetings. And they were, the warmest, most welcoming group of yes, people mm-hmm. I had ever met before. Um, and they, uh, you know, they helped me. Um, I, I met so many of them. Um, I started attending some of the critique classes. Uh, a lot of my early writing was about memories, relationships, things that had happened to me, um, you know, growing up. They were real sweet stories like Southern Americana kind of things. And um, so I joined one of the critique groups and I would take those and they would actually help me make it better. And I learned some of the tricks of the trade by sitting in those critique groups with some other writers. Um, No one had ever told me about um, using stronger verbs. That's where I learned that was actually with other writers, not from English teachers or professors, you know, in high school or college. Um, So they were actually helping move my writing to a better level. And I appreciate that. And then I had that idea about um, compiling a book of keepsake stories. Mm And um, I'll just kind of plug you a little bit, Barbara. (laughs) Um, So I had an idea for collecting uh, keepsake stories from a lot of different writers. And for people who didn't feel confident with their writing, I actually helped them write their own stories. I did not have to help you because yours was beautiful when it came in. Um, But uh, that network helped me... uh, approach other writers? Would you be willing to share one of your stories about a keepsake for an anthology that I'm putting together? And everybody was so willing to do it and willing to help because at the end of the day, a writer just wants to be read Mm -hmm. and heard. And um, so, so many people helped with that project and we compiled the book and and published it in 2014. Um, And so that's where that pool of writers came from. Had I not had an affiliation with the Chattanooga Writers Guild, uh, there's no way I would have been able to collect all those stories. So then a few years later, it, it kind of got old going back and forth to Chattanooga, although I kept those relationships and I'm very close with those people even today. But um, somebody moved into my community, Carly Land, moved into the community. She was a writer from Florida and, uh, and she was asking around town about other writers and people would say to her, well, I think that there's Amber. Amber. You know, you should, you should connect with Amber. She knows some people around here. And by that time, I had met and started networking with um, writers closer to me. So she and I went to Starbucks one day, and I just started throwing names out there. You know, um, well, Colleen Brooks is a writer. You know, Wayne Minshew is a writer around here. And I started naming names, um, and she was writing them down. And She said, I think I want to start a writers group here. Would you be interested? And I said, oh, Absolutely. So it started out with like six or seven people, but she was the person that was uh, the spearhead for that. She actually got that group going. And so we would meet once a month um, at Harris Art Center there. And for people who are listening that are not in this area, Calhoun is small. It's a small town. But um, there were just a few people we would meet once a month at the Harris Art Center. And we would talk about different writing topics. Um she might would, um, bring a book about, uh, something and we would talk about it, or we might do a writing exercise, or we would, uh, talk about book promotion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, then we started attending some of the Rome meetings too. And so we met those people as well. Um, and it was just like my experience with the Chattanooga Writers Guild, uh, writers need other writers to lean upon. You need other people that you can say, um, I don't know how to do this, uh, I'm interested in in someone um, doing the audio for a book. Does anyone know anybody that can do that type of work? And there's usually someone sitting around that table that knows something or knows someone about how to do it. Or, you know, how do I publish? How do I self-publish a book by myself? That's usually a very common question. And a lot of people at this point have done that. Um, Where do I go to get my book cover designed? Oh, well, there's somebody that knows that. So it's... uh, it's so little money to join a writer's group and you get so much more for it. It's such an investment. Um, and I just, I just, I don't think I would be where I am right now had I not started going to the Chattanooga Writers Guild meetings. And it taught me a, a very valuable lesson that, that you need that tribe of writers. So if you don't know other writers, that's how you can meet other writers. And, and everybody helps everyone. And uh, I help other writers, and they help me.
0: Thank you so much for that, because you couldn't have—I couldn't have said it better. And I—I'm a firm believer that uh, beginning writers, maybe if you get to the point where you're getting million-dollar advances, you don't need a writers group anymore. But good luck with that. I'm making a face right now for since <laughs> this is an oral medium. If you get to that point, you're fine. But you probably didn't get that point without a a tribe and without a bunch of editors and things like that. Um, unfortunately, people still are under the myth of the overnight success and that you just get to the shoot to the top and you're going to be a star and all that nonsense. And it's hard, hard work and you need other writers. You need someone, not just one person You need several people who will be honest with you about your writing <laughs> yeah. uh, when it works and when it doesn't work. And, and the writers group I belong to, That's the primary question is we come in and we say, you know, I tell them, I don't want you telling me where there's commas. I teach commas for a living. Don't, don't tell me where to put a comma because they're usually wrong. But I said, what I want to know is, is this working? Does this communicate with you? Is it a story that you care about? Are there gaps or, you know, just big holes that I'm not filling with whatever, you know, I want the, I'm more of a big picture. I'll worry about the the punctuation later and uh, individual words, but, but my group that meets in Fort Oglethorpe, we've been meeting for over, oh my word, 10 years now. And they're just such good readers and such honest critiquers, maybe too honest sometimes, but that's okay because I want that, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't mean that you always agree with everything they say, but, most of the time they're going to be pretty close to write, you know, yeah. that you, it's, they're going to say something you need to hear about your, about your piece. And um, yes, I'm a firm believer in it. And I really appreciate you saying that. And I belong to the writers Chattanooga group, but I have attended and spoken at the Calhoun group. Um, and in fact, I met you at a conference that was in Calhoun, Georgia. You probably don't remember this. It was <laughs> 10 years ago. And uh, there were, Uh, Some writers there who were published, and some workshops, and it was on—I believe—a Saturday or Friday on in Calhoun at the Harris Art Center. So you remember that?
1: I remember seeing you there. I was thinking that you and I had met once before,
0: maybe maybe it was
1: maybe it was once after that, but it was kind of like in that same time frame Uh um, at the Dalton Library. I walked—I went over there one day after work. And, uh, and you were there with your books. And I started, oh, okay. I remember talking to you, but it may have been after that conference. But, okay.
0: It was, it was yeah. somewhere around that time, though. Yeah, 10 years ago. And we had a conference um, on campus here. At, I don't know if you came to that one. We had it in the Brown Center. So I'd like to talk about your other project, which is podcasting.
1: Okay. So I... I have a few things going. I always have a list of things I want to do (laughs) Um, that I don't quite seem to have enough time to actually do them, but but I am working on a novel right now. I want to talk about that just uh, briefly before I get to the podcast, that for the last two years, I have been slogging through a work of fiction. I have so much admiration for you who have several things that you've written because it's the hardest thing I've ever done, I think. Um, writing nonfiction is a breeze compared to writing fiction and building a story with the story arcs and everything. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm finding it really challenging, but I'm working on a novel. It's about 60% um, done. And then I'm working on another nonfiction, um, book that, uh, that I work on every now and then I'm not as interested in that, but I'm trying to keep it going. Um, but, uh, back during the pandemic, I had kind of an epiphany that I was meeting all these really interesting people and they were sharing these interesting stories with me. And, and here again, I see myself as not just a writer, but a storyteller. And so many people actually listen to podcasts. So I had the thought of kind of merging those two worlds when I would, uh, go and, and say, interview, uh, a man that I met, um, North of Atlanta this year. Jim Bearden, he's the Bluebird guy. When I go down there and interview him for the story I'm writing, I'll also take a recorder of some sort and I'll record some of him talking to me. And then after I write the article, I will produce a podcast that talks about his life. So it's kind of like a a complimentary kind of thing, Mm -hmm. maybe more story because, you know, with articles, you have a word count, so you can only share the story in so many words, but so many times there's so much more there. So I thought podcasting, this would be a wonderful fit for that. And I would reach other listeners that maybe don't actually read, you know, magazines. So I've done a few. Um, Only one is out there. It's called Finding Georgia, and it's about interesting people and places um, in Georgia um, and I, I got going and then all of a sudden, uh, the world kind of started shutting down again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to, uh, I thought that a lot of that would be in person. So I ended up doing it with telephone interviews and it just, to me, it didn't translate well. It was bumpy. And after I produced it and listened to it a few times, I felt that my voice was really boring.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. I was fascinated by your you have a wonderful, soft Georgia voice, but it wasn't boring. <laughs> so was, I, I thought, thought it was great.
1: I'm going to relaunch this. So there is one out there, one Finding Georgia podcast out there, and it's about Howard Finster, the, um, the preacher from Somerville, Georgia, that a lot of people know that actually um, heard a call from God to start making art. Um, which I find a very fascinating story. I find him, I, I'm very drawn to quirky characters and mm-hmm. he was a quirky character. <laughs> um, so here again, that was kind of the, to me, that was a natural progression. You know, I would do some writing, I would do some podcasting and I'm still gonna go back and do those, but I, I kind of hit a pause. It's like, I'm gonna go back and redo that one. And now that I could do uh, in-person interviews, I think it will be a lot better. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like you and I are playing off of one another. You know, I'm saying something, you're saying something. And there's more of a conversation. I think that was lost when I was doing that first podcast. But there was a second one I didn't even release. And I had written an article uh, about Rosie the Riveters that were living in Georgia. That you know, They're all in their 90s now. Um, and I had interviewed some of them. And some of the stories were really interesting. Um, so I, I did one about that. So it's actually, but I didn't actually um, upload it, you know, to the world. Um, so I've got a couple others too. I interviewed a couple magicians and talked about, um, you know, different magic clubs around Georgia oh, and wow. uh, the interesting things. They, hey, they have some really interesting stories. Magicians have very interesting stories. <laughs> Kind of like the bigfoot people
0: you know yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> that's great so oh well I want to encourage you in it because the first one was fascinating and of course you picked a great subject to to do it on Howard Finster um, I as I was saying earlier I used to work over in what I call closer to the Alabama border uh, county in Walker County and I would go down to Somerville and pinville uh, mm-hmm. to and and I heard about this man and I had some students who n- knew him and were even related to him because he had, yeah. a, he has a huge family right. and he had, he, he, they would say, Oh, he used to fix our bicycle. And so I went down there and and went around. I took my son he was young and walked around paradise gardens. And it was just, there's nothing like it in the world yeah. <laughs> to see paradise gardens. And I, uh, and I actually was at something where he, he was signing, pictures or something at one point. So I did see him, but I obviously didn't talk to him, but it was, um, this would have been in the early 2000s. So he was fascinating. So I really want to send you all to find Amber's podcast, finding <laughs> Georgia. And I hope she makes many, many more because it was, it was great. And, um, you know, you mentioned about Rosie the Riveter. I'm, I, and, and storytelling is I tell my students and, and, Most of my students are going to be 22 years old or younger. And I say, you really need to get with folks in your family who are old. You know, Mm -hmm. grandma, grandpa, they might be 80. And you need to sit them down and just film them. You never know what they're going to say. And you'd be surprised. And it would help you kind of get out of yourself as well. But one time when my mother was alive, she would have been in her 70s. And I took her to lunch and she said... Out of the blue, she said, you know, when I was in high school, we girls used to go up, and she lived in Appalachia. We used to go up to Washington, D.C. and work in the armaments factories yeah.
1: oh, during wow. the
0: World War it was during World War II. And mom, you know, she said, yeah, that was something we did for money. And then we'd go back to school for the year. And, and I did that a couple, you know. You know, and I was shocked that she, in growing up with her, she'd never said this. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your family members will surprise you with things that you had no idea that they had experienced or done. So my mother was, you know, a Rosie the Riveter in her own way. And
1: well, she de- she meets the definition for sure.
0: Yeah, and so I went home, and my son was young at the time, and I said, "Grandma made bombs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the war," and he was like, "Wow!" and And it's just it's an example of how we sometimes think we know people and we don't really know them until we can get them to tell their stories. And that's that's what you're about. And you go around and, you know, I know you've written um, some other things and you're working on a novel now, which I'm I'm interested to to see. And I hope you'll let me look at it soon. (laughs) I love to help writers and and go through and I don't line at it so much as just give, you know, more global advice. Um, but I don't think you'll need much advice because I know you're a great storyteller already. We've been conversing with Amber Lanier-Nagel, a writer from Calhoun, Georgia, whose writing you have probably seen in many places. Thank you for listening. Future podcasts will feature Chad Daniel, executive director of Artistic Civic Theater in Dalton, Georgia and Kenyon Henry, author and originator of The Next Chapter Con. If you have suggestions for podcast guests, you can contact us at the email address on the show notes. Also, we would like sponsors to defray the cost of posting this podcast on the various platforms. I'm Barbara Tucker, host of Dialogues with Creators podcast. You can read more about me at barbaragramtucker.com. Thanks for listening.